0: On today's episode, we will be discussing Susan Kiyo Ito's I Would Meet You Anywhere. And then we'll be speaking to Adoptee Roy coming to us from Scotland.
1: Again, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, S12F, fellow adoptee, friend, someone who will be in New York. So thank you very much for your support. We appreciate you.
0: Hi, Louise. Hi, Sarah. We are giving our Patreon and news, which is our next coffee, Patreon, Zoom, will be February 17th at mm-hmm. 1 p.m. East Coast, correct? 1
1: p.m. East Coast, and it's for anybody at the $10 and over level on our Patreon. And some people were $5 level, and they upped it to 10 and they're staying there because the group is super fun. Yeah, it's really a healing, like, vibe about it. Anyway, I love it.
0: Yeah, you know what it is? It just feels like old friends. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, just that commonality that we all have is is yeah. really evident in these groups.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Coming up also, we are going to see some people in New York from that Patreon.
0: Yes, in which two is days, really cool. three days. yeah. yeah can't so wait so excited I know. I know
1: we'll post some pictures and everything so everybody look for that trip but thanks to our other patreons too if you're at the five dollar level you've given once it means a ton to us so
0: yes we're super grateful it keeps us going
1: yeah it really keeps us it going really it keeps
0: us going yep yeah, so if you want to join at the ten dollar or any level just to support the show and keep the show running patreon.com and just search adoption the making me Hi Sarah. Hi Louise. Before we get started on our chapter review, don't we have something exciting to show people who and if you're not at YouTube, go to YouTube because you're going to want to see this. Super cool. You want to see
1: it. Look what we have. At Mom okay. mugs. Adoption the making
0: me. Yeah, it's our new mugs. So on one side it says At Mom Adoption the making me and the other side says another great episode. Another great episode. And it's awesome. It's like I, I'm so proud when I see it.
1: We're gonna be selling those very shortly.
0: Yes, we're gonna have those on our website really
1: soon. So website and you're gonna be able to join at a Patreon level to get a mug. So
0: yes, exactly. We're gonna have a new Patreon level which will get you to our Patreon Zoom group and you'll get a mug. And then you can exciting. drink your coffee on the Zoom with the Patreon. During the Zoom call, exactly. <laughs> which everyone yeah. will want one. If in the meantime, you want to before, because it's going to take us a minute to get it on the website. If you want the mug, reach out to us, you know, however you reach out to us, either on our emails, our website, any of the socials, just send us a DM and we will put you on the list
1: for mugs. Can't can't wait. And now we're going to talk about I Would Meet You Anywhere by Susan Kiyo Ito, which we are thoroughly enjoying mm-hmm what's well, so well written can i say one thing i was reading in the back you know how they give i never really read the back where it gives who says what about her book uh-huh and someone said it was a work of art like a delicate precise cutting with her words like a surgeon yeah that it. that's how i feel about it
0: i didn't realize kamal bell had i know yeah that's who
1: wrote that I, I just love what she wrote about it oh and angela tucker yep. yeah yeah
0: it's pretty cool. I mean, it's so good. Susan's going to be in Kansas City in February. Lucky. They go to that reading. Lucky. Susan, I look forward to meeting you. I hope you're listening. <laughs> so well, we are on, yeah. I would meet you at the Holiday Inn. And this is when she meets yeah. her birth mother. We both cried well, through like this. Holiday. This was yeah. very,
1: the way she writes it, literally I'm there with her at that age. I feel. I, I know. My stomach, how she's feeling. You know what? We finished the last chapter last week, but there was a quote in there and then I'll let you start talking about this chapter. But there was something which I thought led into it where she says, I didn't know if it was possible to meet the woman who had made me and come back the same person, which I re-went and circled because I was like, after this, you're not the same person. You're just not. Meeting your birth mother, you'll never be the same person again. I never met my birth mother. I had a lot of like, how would I have been treated? Like, I don't know. I assume wonderfully. We don't know that. I
0: mean, I had the best possible scenario yeah. of meeting my birth mother because she was waiting for me yes. all those years and, all those years. Oh, That's how I ju- feel mine would be. But we
1: don't, it was just this, it hurt me for her. So how do you want to start it? That's so much.
0: Well, I mean, the, just right out the gate when her, when she says to her, you know, well, this was supposed to be confidential. Like she was yeah. mad about, Yeah, she was
1: cold and mad.
0: huh. Mm-hmm. About being found, yeah. Such a harsh era. Yeah, you know what? It just... also I put a.m. here because there was this part where she
1: says, "I went to a support group for adoptees." Like she's like, "Oh, like her mom says, this was all supposed to be a secret." You can picture it, right? And she's very sophisticated, and this is a young girl sitting in front of her, not sophisticated. And she's like, "I went to a support group for adoptees. They helped me. I could picture myself like justifying." <laughs> A muscle in her cheek flinch. And I marveled at the color of her lipstick, a sophisticated coral. It reminded me of AM, like, looking at the mother and what she's wearing and the lipstick. And the, Yes,
0: yes, yes. Kind of the opposite, though. Kind like, of the opposite. Her mother wasn't so right.
1: sophisticated. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was just kind of those noticing things, the coral lipstick, you know? Gosh. So, yeah. uh, not to give a giveaway, but she meets her mother, and it's very many hours in this hotel room. And a lot of it where she's doing pushback for sure. Like the one line, I didn't think about you for 21 years. Oh my
0: gosh, that was so cruel. I mean, cruel. but then you find out later, in fact, you know, so they go through this whole day together, they go eat, then they have ice cream and the, it oh. kind of breaks the ice. But I think what really, I think what got me and what could make me cry now was finding out that she had a sister and that the oh. sister got her name. That surprised me. It was so. I'd like to talk to just Susan so still. So dismissive it. of
1: Mika became her sister's name, seventeen-year-old sister,
0: and, and her mother was like, "Well, I, I really like the name." She, she said something that
1: made her feel evaporated, like right. she says she evaporated,
0: which is so oh, such yeah. a common theme among adopted people that we've talked to. Just yeah, really feeling kind of. Like, we don't matter. We don't matter. What
1: The other thing that made me start crying was when she said, she said her, let me see a picture of your parents. She likes pictures, which was interesting. The birth mother liked pictures. Uh Like, Yumi was her name. Oh, I love pictures. Let me see pictures. Oh, your parents look like nice people. She was happy they were Japanese because she had asked for that. And I just felt like she said, oh, well, do they know you're looking? You shouldn't hurt their feelings. You know, another thing against her to have her. I know. Like the guilt being passed off by her birth mother about her parents. And she's like, "Oh, they're helping me. Yeah. That part, it's surprising to me. Like just, she was definitely cold, but then she did come around a little bit. You know, when she said you were 21 years old, she said, in her mind, I'm 20. Yeah. But also, okay, the one part before, how about her mother? Which one thing she found out, because her mom did start to talk about it and kind of like, looking at the barn above her head.
0: She couldn't look at
1: her. She couldn't look at her because she found out that they really did look so much alike. And mm-hmm. all of it. she was looking at the barn above her head, some painting in the Holiday Inn. And she said that she had to go back after two months and take her with a bottle to the adoption agency.
0: So this l- woman definitely has some trauma. I mean, there's some layers. I there. mean, she was very, obviously we're going to continue reading and there more will be revealed, but she was very very disconnected just yeah. from all her emotions, and you know, like compartmentalized. She had compartmentalized huh. that part of her life. But then the interesting thing is, is that when Susan asked about her birth father, she'd been in touch with him for all these years. All these years. And that he was the one who would remind her, you know, she would be four today. She would be 17 today. Today's the day, you know. Yeah. So he was the one. So it wasn't true. That she didn't mm-hmm. think about her because he would remind her about her. It was I mean, she'd have to think about obviously it. protective
1: yeah. measures
0: and kind of like, I never thought you'd find me. I can't
1: deal with this. My kids don't know. And her husband knew she did tell her husband mm-hmm. in case did it were to ever come up. I don't know what
0: you that know. Is. It's, we've talked about this before because, you know, we've had a few guests over the years who have said, my birth mother was crazy or this and that. And I really, really think that. Having to give up a child, for Mm -hmm. the most part, most people, I think that that just damages you in a way, and that that's, no, not crazy, but damaged in pain, and everyone deals with it in a different way.
1: And it manifests in your brain and messes with you. There's no way. Mm -hmm. We've had our own pain. You can imagine. You just imagine. I, I talked to a boyfriend who knew my mother, my biological mother, before she died, and he kept saying that she would say... She changed her name twice, which is interesting for like fresh starts. And then she said to him, he was talking about marriage and she's like, oh, you don't want to marry me. I'm not a good person. I've done this thing, you know, and that's seven, eight years later, it stays with you. Uh There's no way. I mean, that's why she's like, I never thought like, that's why she can not look at her. I can picture her looking at the barn. She can't deal. Yeah,
0: she's it's probably she's hanging on by a thread maybe at this point. Meeting her, you know, all this, this carefully, this house of cards she's built for all these years, you know, just one little shove. and So I'm really anxious to see what happens because Susan asks her, I'd like to meet him. Yes. I'd like to talk to him. So I'd like to
1: meet my my siblings. Yeah. She asks her. I
0: mean, which is so bold and brave.
1: I I thought she was very (laughs) bold through this whole thing. She's there for four hours. I would have been out of there. I don't do rejection well. I probably would have left when I started crying because <laughs> she cried and kept it together. And they had lunch down the hall, the, inn and and at the cream, end and ice, ice cream, which the ice cream
0: was the final icebreaker, but
1: ice cream was the icebreaker. They both like coffee chip. And then at the bus stop, her mom said to her, let me wait for the bus with you, which was protective feeling. And she said, I'm so glad I wouldn't have missed this for the world. The mother said that. Yeah, I wouldn't have missed this for the world. The first really kind, loving which probably has her hanging on by a thread. That would make yeah. me hang on by a thread. I feel for Susan, the the little Susan that we're gonna learn more about. It's weird because we know her, but I feel like I'm like, Susan.
0: I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you're listening to this, so we just we're loving this. So love it so much. I I just love it. It's such a beautiful book. Everything about it.
1: Is, it really is.
0: It's so emotional. Yeah.
1: Well. I'm excited about Roy because this is a good interview too. Yeah,
0: next week starts part two, so mm-hmm. if you're following along, part two, part two, starting. and if you
1: haven't started it, get in there and get going because it's great. yeah, catch up. Okay, The well, discount.
0: <laughs> well, Louise, what I'll do we see say? You in a minute?
1: See in a minute. See in a minute. Hey Sarah, I wanted to still ask you about our magic mind because I just got mine in the mail. I know because
0: of the subscription, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Speaking of the subscription, it's the end of January. So sign up now to get the one month free. So if you sign up today, you'll get two months for one month price and yeah. our 20% off with adoption 20. Yeah. So my biggest thing lately is I really need to
1: cut back on caffeine. You know, I've been doing all my health stuff, going to the doctor. They're like, I have some heart little things, cut back on your caffeine. And I'm this is the one area that helps me. I this, know.
0: I honestly, yeah. I feel way better in the mornings. I'm so much happier throughout the day yeah. thanks to the adaptogens that boost <laughs> my mood and help me relax. I mean, I didn't even know that, but like
1: That's what been, it is.
0: We've been taking it for a few months now and it just I've definitely noticed a change. I have too. Like, I
1: showed a friend of mine the contents, of what's in it because she's like, "What is in that?" Like, is it? And she's like, "Oh, she knew everything like lion's mane all the things that I'm like behind the eight ball
0: on. And she's like, I'm this just is like, good yeah, stuff. I just like it's the way it tastes and it boosts my <laughs> oh, energy. <laughs> me too. It makes me I mean, feel it's, good. It's, yeah. It's like healthy. I don't, it I kind healthy. of have, have always avoided energy drinks due to the stuff that's in them. And this is really all natural and yeah, and yummy. So I'm excited. She, about saw, it.
1: she saw it in sprouts because you can get it in sprouts.
0: But yeah. That's what I was just going to say. It's in sprouts. Mm-hmm. Like you are better off getting the, you know, subscribing. But if you just want to check it out first, get a little shot at Sprouts. That's a good way to do it.
1: And then go to our code and use it because you'll, even even in February, you get Adoption20, the discount. So
0: yeah, but do this quickly so that you Mm -hmm. can do the one month free. So all
1: right. Yes. So we're excited to be here today. We have somebody joining us all the way from Dunbar, Scotland. Near the border, right near Edinburgh. And this is Roy Mueller joining us.
0: Hi, Roy. Welcome. Hi, Roy. Welcome. Hi,
2: Louise. Hi, Sarah.
1: We're glad to have you. Thank you.
0: We've had a small handful of, we've had one Scottish guest, Mm -hmm. didn't we not?
1: Mm hmm. Cormac.
0: We've had maybe one from Scotland, one from Ireland, a couple from England, but really few Europeans. So always love hearing.
1: Mm hmm.
2: I was conceived in North America, but born in the United Kingdom. So it's a transatlantic ah, element to yeah. my backstory, I guess.
0: All right. Well, we're excited to hear your story. Tell us what you know.
2: Well, my mother lived in, both my birth mother and my, I never put sure whether to say birth father, it never sounds quite right, blood father, I guess I should say. <laughs> they both lived in Toronto and he was a photographer and she was a reporter on a paper Called the Toronto Telegram. He was married; she wasn't. They had an affair. I was conceived. It would have been October sixty-two, I guess, at the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis. How it, old
0: was she? She was
2: the time I was conceived. She had just turned twenty-eight, okay. and he would be coming up for forty-three. So it was quite an age difference, oh, especially yeah. for those
1: days. Yeah.
2: So I'm. I don't really know. What happened in the immediate aftermath when she found she was pregnant and how she ended up coming all this way over here to give birth to me and then go back almost immediately to Toronto.
1: Interesting. um, Yeah, I was gonna ask you that. So she did give birth to you over in the UK and then went back. That's right.
2: One thing that's found out quite quickly was that Ontario at the time, there was a real contrast between the image that if you look back at the photographs of the time. It's all tail fin cars and it quite gaudy signs downtown. It looks like almost like mini New York, quite flashy on the surface, but it had a very deep, sort of repressed, backward looking moral code. Mm. It was okay and if you that, were sort of.
0: Certainly the era too had that moral was, code. For
2: women, it was particularly difficult. It was okay yeah. if you were the right sort of man. You could probably right. get away with quite a lot. But if you're a woman, even a, a woman in her mid to late 20s, who fell pregnant, who wasn't married, faced a stigma, a society stigma.
1: And she's trying to be a reporter and on her own. Yeah,
2: it was difficult. Not sure the extent of it, but I, I believe that pregnant single women at that time could actually be put almost into a sort of institution. I mean, she had a fairly decent career, you know, for a woman at that time. It wasn't a lot of women were just homemakers at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, or consider that they should be homemakers. The idea of a a career woman in Toronto at that point, you know, as I say, it didn't really tally with the, to me, looks like a glamorous image. When you see those cars, the white wall tires, the tail fins, it's almost Mm -hmm. like kind of out of Mad Men or something like that. And like
0: like Mad Men, women were discouraged to be single mothers and discouraged to have careers. And yeah, I mean, that was kind of a phenomenon here Mm -hmm. as well.
2: Yeah. I wouldn't say the UK was particularly more enlightened, but we did have a national and still do have a national health service. So Mm -hmm. she could come over here despite the expense of flying. I assume she flew over here and then flying back. Everything, all the care that she would receive in the UK would be free. So that's maybe a reason that she she came over. Although Canada
0: has a national health system as well. so Mm.
2: I'm not sure it did back in 62, 63. Mm or if it would be available for somebody in that circumstance. And did did
0: she have family in the UK? Do you know any of this? No.
2: It's the only adoption form that she filled in when she went to the agency. That's the first sort of paper trail I have. She went to the adoption agency in April 63, so three months before I was born. I was born in early July 63. And she filled out a form. And on the form, she put her nationality as Scottish stroke ah. canadian and she'd left my birth my blood father's name blank but she'd also put scottish canadian for him she didn't have really Any family. traced an ancestry you know and she has like many people in north america did have ancestors from the uk but nothing immediate and my birth father's name though was uh, last name was kennedy which is a name that's either scottish or irish so maybe she felt that 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 was a
1: I mean, being I a reporter, actually, she might have kind of looked up what can I do? I'm starting to show where can I go? I think so. Being a woman of like intelligent means, you know, gosh, so, it makes me sad.
0: Every episode makes me sad. It just makes me sad. Like, what <laughs> women, every episode, the shame, you know? The shame. So, what I know you'll get to this, but it's sounding like you'd never met her or
1: no. I, you never
0: got to the bottom of any of this, really? I mean, have you dug? Have you, have you? Yeah, I
2: have subsequently. The sort of discovery of her identity, you know, and by extension, my identity, really comes in two parts, decades apart. When I was around about 15 or 16, I really started to get the itch to find out you know, who I was. I remember thinking when I looked in the mirror, I wanted to know who was looking back at me, whose eyes, mm-hmm. I, features I might have inherited. you know I guess I'm not alone as an adoptee and and sort of having those feelings and or them coming to before at that particular kind of age I think just as I was in the midst of adolescence.
0: Were you raised in Scotland?
2: Yes yeah I was adopted pretty quickly I was I think I actually went back to my adoptive parents house became a member of the household within a matter of of weeks, six weeks at the most, maybe less.
0: And, I've got and were there other mm-hmm. siblings there or?
2: No, no. So it was, I was the only child. They didn't have any children of their own, and I was the only child they, they adopted. Mm. So I'd been there, you know, almost from the get-go, really. I'd, I'd been a member of, of the family. I found when I eventually had my adoption records open that they'd sort of been in a waiting list for a baby to to turn up, sort of thing, you know, prior about nine months no, in fact, about a year before my birth, actually. They, they went in the register. I've got a letter of confirmation from June 62. So so they've been waiting just over a year for me.
1: How like, were your parents about your adoption? Open or what did they tell you? Or make you feel me something it?
2: that I've heard other people say here, that I was lucky because I was chosen. It was almost like a lullaby of, you know, I remember my mum my Molly, kind of saying to me, just as she tried to get me off to to sleep, that you know, uh, other parents have to choose, have to um, accept what they're given, but we're lucky because we got to to choose you. So I had this mental image of lots of cots in this ward, you know, and they they them coming round and and sort of going, well, we'll have that one, you know, mum. And come used-
0: to find out, they were waiting and
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Like here's know, a baby to you, take it or leave <laughs> it, you know.
2: <laughs> that's right. That's pretty much it. But but she said, you know, well, we chose you because when we were looking at the cots, you you smiled at us, and that's why we we chose you. So there was an element, I suppose, of um, of sugaring the pill. But I was a very young young child, you know. But I always kind of accepted that. And then, as I say, when I was I was sixteen, I I got the urge to to find out, and I was too shy to confront my mom directly about it. So I wrote her a, a letter and left it on her dressing table. Mm-hmm. And it just said, you know, can you, do you have any information about where I come from? And, you know, I'd like to know who I look like and all that kind of thing. So she presented me with the form, the form that I was referring to, that my birth mother had filled in at the agency. And that told me her, my birth mother's name, her occupation, details about her family and my birth, my blood father, Always correcting myself because, as I say, birth father doesn't sound quite right because he wasn't there at the birth. But anyway, my blood father's name was blank, but his, she had a few details about him. But she'd taken a few years off his age and she'd sort of smoothed out. I say she had maybe my birth mother and the nurse who was at the agency sort of point of contact. I think between them, they might have sort of massaged the details to smooth mm-hmm. things out and make the family background that I was coming from look a bit more solid.
0: Are you saying it was make- fake news?
2: <laughs> to shorten the age gap between my natural mother and father, just so, you know, I, I was more of a proposition, more of an acceptable proposition. Yeah. But there was a few red herrings there that when I eventually, only eight, or nine years ago, actually seriously pursued trying to find these things out, they kind of threw me, and I went down a few blind alleys because the information that I had been presented with in this this form wasn't strictly correct in a lot of ways. So it was it's an she interesting. Ha-
0: did she have her real name on there?
2: She had her real name, and um, so
0: you were given yeah. your birth certificate. Because here in America, we still to this day have to yeah. you know, send away to get our birth yeah. certificates and pay yeah. and request and you know get approval. Were you able to just get your birth I certificate? Was-
2: But I didn't, not initially, because when I was 16, I went to the records office in Edinburgh, which is called Register House. I didn't really get further than the commissioner at the door, really. Kind of go away, Sonny, you know. Not just because of my youth at the time, but you couldn't get access. I don't know when that changed, but I had a friend who, not adopted, but he was doing, he was getting into genealogy. And he said, you know, if if you go up there with your passport, if you make an appointment, you can probably get your birth records open. So I emailed the next day. And I think the day after that I was in the office with my passport and a lady came in with a huge manila envelope and then took a silver knife and sliced open the envelope and literally all came spilling out onto the table so, before. Me. So this must wow. have been later
0: later than fifteen, because you first of all there weren't emails when you were fifteen. So was true. Um, the, so the time jump, I'm I'm trying to figure out when when you did that, when you were able to get your
2: Yeah. That would be
0: 2015. Oh, okay. So so recently, this is a pretty, like, nine, eight, nine years ago kind of scenario.
1: So when you went to the passport office, the woman there could just open your records for your birth?
2: The registrar's office with my passport. Oh, with your passport. No, you took
0: your passport. Yeah, I see. I took my passport, yeah. Yeah.
2: That's all it took, really.
0: But that's a big jump in time. So at 15, you're yeah. like, mm-hmm. I want to know who I am and mm-hmm. where I came mm-hmm. from. So you didn't get too far with that. In no. those intervening years from, you know, late 70s to now 2015, mm-hmm. what occurred? What happened? Like, you just kind of lived your life. And
2: I didn't think I'd ever find out, I guess. And I felt very detached from other people's sort of family trees with other People, at one point I was a support worker and I was working with a guy with learning difficulties and he was interested in doing some genealogy. I tried to help, but my heart wasn't in it because I felt estranged mm-hmm. from all that. And even people, I'd hear people talking about the extended families and I'd, I used to feel strange when people were talking about having all these cousins and and, and things and I just, mm-hmm. I don't know, I felt, I guess I felt left out, but resigned to the fact that it was always going to be that way. In the intervening time, I, I had a son and my adoptive father died back in 1982 and my adoptive mother died in 2009, mm. a year after my son was born. And I think, although I didn't realise it at the time, those were steps in their yeah. own way to me sort of feeling able to to pursue it further. I don't know if I'd had the information about my birth when my Adoptive mother was still alive, how I would have felt.
1: It's sort how of awkward. a freedom. There's a freedom in that, you know, yeah. like a
2: release. Yeah. Not in the way I would have chosen, but and I, I think the reality is that it did make me not feel guilty about pursuing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Had you been close to them?
2: With both of them. But my birth, last time I ever saw my adoptive dad, we were arguing and at a bus stop and then about nothing really. I was just being an awkward teenager. And then, you know, a few days later, I got the phone call from mm-hmm. my, my mom to say that he, he died. So that was a, a kind of fresh wound, you know, yeah. and I, I don't think that's ever really healed. But my mom and I were, were very close all the way through. So, you know, I, I mean, was really fortunate to have them both as, a, as my adoptive parents, but I wasn't able to communicate that to my adoptive dad in my teenage years. You know, so that's, that's a yeah. huge regret. I know that my Molly, the mom who adopted me, she, you know, she knew how much I, I valued her. So that, that sort of makes me easier about the whole thing.
1: And you yeah.
0: have one son
1: or how many kids do you have?
2: Uh, just one son. One son. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So you, um, you had him and that kind of like, I mean, this is common, spurred
2: mm-hmm.
0: more of an interest in finding yeah. stuff out.
2: Not necessarily obvious to me at the time. Mm-hmm. I did feel more connected because the thing is, when I was forty-four, when my son was born, and I remember—I mean, the elation was like nothing, and I've never had a feeling like it. The high uh-huh. just was incredible, yeah. pure, clean, natural high. And but as well as that sort of ecstatic like feeling, I remember thinking very clearly that this is the first time that I've looked upon another human being that I've known I'm actually related to. Yeah. So that, that was huge, and now. It's all you know everything's opened up since I mm-hmm. you know, kind of found out more details about my birth family and, on both sides. I was watching a television program here in the UK. actually about adoption, and one of the participants said that he often hears that discovering your identity through adoption is a closure, but he feels actually it's an opening. Yeah you know, and We, I thought,
0: well, that's, that's we talk path. about that a, a that, lot,: that is both.
2: Yeah, it's both, but certainly has been an opening for me.
0: We talk about that a lot, like you know, in media and that they portray like the reunion as this happy, oh, and then that's the end Mm. of the story. But really, yeah, it's the beginning of another story.
1: Yeah,
2: it can be. I know for some people, it's a a Pandora's box. You know, it can be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's (laughs) not always the way people want it to be. I've I've been fortunate.
0: So, did you do a DNA test or like what? What was your? I did. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so
2: I'd already sort of it was proof rather than or I underlined what I discovered, if if you like, because I'd mm-hmm. already found out by that point through a bit of detective work, not just by myself but other people helping me who my, my birth father was. But I've now got, you know, my first I've got two of my uncles kids uh, they are there first cousins and ancestry and you know and close relations to my, my mother's line. So mm-hmm. I knew the facts about where it come from by that point.
0: So from that package that came spilling open, is that where you found most of your information? And then like, this is pre-DNA or?
2: This is pre-DNA. Yeah. It all stemmed from that. It gave my birth mother's full name, a mm-hmm. middle name. So I, it, was, it was Carol Hoffman. She, I now had Carol Elizabeth Hoffman and it had her address in Toronto. So I thought, well, maybe not Scottish-Canadian after all, maybe just Canadian. Canadian.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so th- that was in the, about lunchtime. And then on the train home, I had the phone out and I was sort of looking through University of Toronto records because I thought she was a reporter on a paper in Toronto. She'd probably gone to the University of Toronto. And then by the middle of the afternoon, I'd found a yearbook from nineteen fifty. Four or something like that, and it had her picture there in the yearbook, you know, and she looked incredibly like myself as a teenager. So that was that was a, another revelation, almost as when I saw yeah. saw my son being being born, kind of looking on on her face and seeing the resemblance. So the day after that, I found a death notice for her in oh, the oh University no, University
0: I paper. wondered,
2: I yeah. she mm. died just over a year. Prior. Just
0: over a year prior. Oh, but that I time.
2: also found out from that her she she got married uh, in 1971. So I found I kind of found a, her married name and then looked around for people on Facebook. I think it was with the same surname in Toronto. And I can't quite. It's all a bit of a blur. But ended up pretty short order getting in touch with guy who turned out to be my stepbrother. who was the the son of the guy that my mother. Married.
0: Not her son?
2: Not her son. She didn't have any children of her own, but she had a stepdaughter and a stepson. So I ended up getting in touch with them both. And uh, that sort of opened up.
1: About her. Did they tell you a lot about her? Were they raised with her?
2: They were, but they didn't have an easy relationship, my birth mother and the the guy that she married. So, yeah, it was a little bit bittersweet, I suppose, doing those things. My stepbrother sent me photographs, so I had photographs of their wedding and just just having been a sort of shimmerer for all these decades, the idea of, yeah. of this woman who was my mother. Suddenly there she was in all these different outfits, all these different periods in her life. So it was a lot to take in.
1: Yeah. How did she die? Yeah.
2: She had a, a pulmonary problem. So she died. She was 79 when she died. I don't think it would have been possible for me to really contact her had I found her her earlier because of the relationship that she was in at the time with a guy who was very protective. I don't think he would have permitted me any access.
0: Not the husband that she married. Did she divorce him or are you talking about She divorced
2: the the first husband. They were separated then. He passed away. They kind of reconciled. She came to help him when he was ill and then she got together with another guy and yeah, I just without going into a lot of details, he, he wasn't somebody yeah. I could have
1: controlling any sort of contact did, with. I don't
2: did, think he wouldn't have allowed me any any contact with her. I'm pretty sure. So
0: did she tell, like, did your step siblings know about you? Had she told anybody about your birth?
2: Very briefly, when my stepsister was twelve. My stepsister was born just three months before I was, and one night my birth mother, Carol sort of blurted out to her you know i I have a son somewhere who's the mm. same age as you, and it was just kind of left hanging, yeah, but sometimes when my mother's husband had a drink, he would sort of apparently he would say a few things about her having a child somewhere in in a mean way he would sort of blurt out something, you know, mm. so nobody had any specifics, but there was a sort of idea that she had a son somewhere but nobody knew any more about that and it was known that she disappeared for a while without really giving much information on her whereabouts Mm -hmm. back in the early 60s but none of it was particularly detailed information it was just when I sort of said hi I'm Carol Hoffman's son it wasn't a major surprise to my Mm stepbrother and my stepsister but they didn't really know
1: they weren't sure apart from
2: odd occasions that
1: you wonder what haunts people right like she didn't have more children and mm-hmm. and you just i mean i wish you did get to meet her for her too the to close her yeah head, you know for her yeah i i would have liked to
2: or just get some sort of message that you know yeah. hi i'm alive and i'm okay and i've got and you're a grandmother and yeah i mean i'd love to have met her had some yeah contact with her but for her i would just like to as I say, got the message through that whatever your reasons back in in 1963, what you did has resulted in me being brought up by a very nice couple and I'm doing okay. And I've got my own family. And I'd I'd love to have got that simple message through to her. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I can't imagine the worry. Yeah. Go ahead, sir. Mm -hmm.
0: So you did your DNA. Now I'm just wondering, Was there anyone in her life? Did she have siblings? siblings. Do you have aunts and uncles? Did they know about you?
2: Yeah, and she had two sisters, one of whom I went over to, I was we just sold our house actually a few months after I found out the details from the the adoption records. So we were able, that just gave us a little bit of spare cash. We were able to go over to Canada and I met one of my aunts and spoke to another one on the phone. And they knew that my mother had, disappeared for a while but that wasn't particularly out of keeping or out of character with her so I think they were initially skeptical because she'd just passed away a year before so why is this and then suddenly this person turns up purporting to be oh. her son you know mm-hmm. what's his motives the physical resemblance I think and yeah. DNA well the DNA <laughs> yeah that was that was just prior to me getting the DNA test oh, Okay, okay. That, <laughs> as I say that so that's an extra bit of insurance if you like I could wave in Someone's face, should I need to? Yes, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the resemblance, I think, you know, kind of took care of any doubts that they might have had, you know? So that was something else being in... Toronto's changed so much. You know, uh, that one in 2015, it would have been unrecognizable from... Uh, oh, I'm, I'm sure. To, and, and now even more so. It's, it's condominium, stealing glass, you know, and to ha- the max.
1: And how were the but, sisters? Were they... Was it neat to see them? Or were they loving or... Yes.
2: I mean, yeah. well, I spoke to one in the phone. Yeah. She's since mm-hmm. passed away, but I had a good chat with her and my other aunt. Yeah, I met, met her a few times. been over to Canada twice since then. And You must lovely, have cousins.
0: You must have cousins. cousins. Yeah,
2: yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, so I've got two cousins, no, four cousins, I should say, two male and two female cousins. One of them is a musician in Toronto and I kind of follow him. He does sort of a lot of gigs and he, during the Lockdown, you started doing gigs on Facebook, which I kind of watch and join in and comment. You know, and it's just it's really good having that connection. You, I feel you very finally fortunate.
0: have like something you were aware of lacking growing up. Absolutely, like people talking Absolutely. about their truth. Eh, I don't have you know your extended family. Exactly. Now you I'd have an extended family. Probably yeah.
2: overcompensate. Probably I probably talk it up too much, making up for lost time. But, <laughs> no, it's it's really nice. And on my father's side, I've got.
0: Oh, yeah. What, so, so did you find him? Like, Tell yeah. us that.
2: Well, when I was over in Canada the first time, just a few months after having the adoption records opened, I was kind of asking people on my mum's side, did they know who my father was? And they said, well, we think his name was Jim and he was a photographer. And again, it's all a bit fuzzy, but it led to well, it can only be this guy Jim Kennedy. He was a photographer at the paper. And then I did a bit of sort of online research and that prior, again, prior to the DNA test, but, you know, checking records and ancestry and things. Eventually, I found in my heritage somebody had him in a family tree. And that was a eureka moment there. Mm-hmm. he passed away in 2001. By the following morning, I kind of had, I found an extract of an obituary and I kind of emailed the paper in Ontario that, asking if they could send me the whole ob- obituary and they did. And I think that gave the name of his kids, and so with the help of my stepbrother, I got in, was able to get in touch with my half siblings, with the majority of my half siblings.
1: How did they take I that?
2: Met some of them on my trips, so again, found it very easy to get on with them. Partly, I think, because I'm the youngest of the seven kids that he had, so we're all mature. Wow, in he years. was a I prolific. Uh... I think if I'd been younger, I might have. I don't know, gone overboard in, in some way being less measured, you know. Yeah. In my response,
0: he, he was very prolific as a father.
2: He was, you know, and he <laughs> had five kids with his wife and another, well, two outside of marriage. Um, mm-hmm. mm. So yeah, he was. But I'm glad he was because there you now are. You have
0: now you me. have life, <laughs> and they're all very opening and welcome to you. And
2: yeah, again, you know, I mean, some maybe more than others, but. That's the way of things, particularly close to a couple of them. And, you know, I'm just, it's all positive you know, for me. I've been asked, you know, what your feelings, do you have any bitterness towards your birth parents, your blood parents? Absolutely not. Because everything that they did, every decision that they made, you know, I'm not going to judge. And I'm just glad that they did because it's led to me being able to have a decent life. So I'm not, I don't analyze their, their motivations or anything that, I'm, you know, I just love them. That's all I can I, do.
0: I just wanted to because you there was this question of your mother had put on the birth certificate, she was Scottish. Did you find out yeah. that and no, in fact, no Scottish in her?
2: No, none at all. <laughs> I mean my DNA is mostly Scottish, actually, you know, the breakdown. But as you probably know, I don't know if you've had yeah. ancestry DNA or yeah, mm-hmm. it, changes. it changes. You know, the, all the, time. the matching is is pretty watertight, but the DNA's estimate and it can it can change over six monthly period. So at the, yeah. at the moment I'm currently kind of mostly Scottish and then Welsh after that, but a quarter Welsh and then kind of English and North European and Irish. So
0: that's my DNA exactly.
2: <laughs> oh well. Yeah well, you know, maybe we're distant cousins, Sarah. Could
0: could <laughs> could be. You never know. <laughs> and Roy, has your
1: son met anybody? Like is he involved? He has. In he
2: he came with us in two thousand fifteen, my wife and son. So he's met Kind of, I guess, second cousins. You know, kids. One yeah. of the one of my cousin's sons. I think not me, a second cousin. Yeah, he has. And you know that that was great to be able to kind of integrate things that early on. Yeah. After, you know the discovery process.
1: I always it think it's another- interesting, you know, with our children because that's also mm. their relatives. Absolutely. And it and I- it keeps going. You know.
2: It does. And as you know, I keep thinking this is for him as well, you know, kind of fleshing out the family Mm -hmm. tree and just, Mm -hmm. I think it's good for the soul, you know, and just feeling for the first time in my life, feeling part of a wider.
0: Yeah. Not to mention finding out health, important health information to help your own child. Yeah. Yeah. Genetic predispositions or what have you that mm -hmm. can be helpful. And
2: well, there's a lot of Alzheimer's on my father's side. So I'm mindful of that and trying to incorporate Mm. that into meditation and things that I can, Mm -hmm. you know, it's been an early warning Mm -hmm. from that that sort of thing. You know, I remember when I found out about that, you know, just it was a bit of a, I just thought, oh, God, it's inevitable it's going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. Scary. You know, so that was the one sort of truth that kind of hit me, I think. You know, any infidelities or decisions that were made all those years ago and. As I say, and I don't pass any judgment. From my selfish point of view, I'm glad it all happened. But yeah, I think the thing, thinking that, oh, there's a predisposition to this in the family. That was the one, well, that along with the fact that my birth mother had passed so recently before I found out.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And hearing the difficulties that she'd had in her personal life, those things, and then finding out about the predisposition to Alzheimer's. They were the sobering moments. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd rather know than not know, of course.
1: Yeah, we come so, into them so late yeah. in life too, right? It's like we're finding those things out too, Sarah and I, and you mm-hmm. come into them so late and you're thinking, yeah, oh, you do." it's like a catch-up in your head about, okay, Again, whoa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I kind of
0: had information in my Very 30s much. about, mm-hmm. although my biological mother died early. She was 63 and it was liver cancer due to a mm. to transfusion when she was 19 yeah. and got hepatitis so i'm like well does that mean i'm predisposed to liver right. who knows but yeah at mm, least there's sure. you know it is good to have information and mm-hmm. adjust your lifestyle yeah as much as you can you know and also for children like
2: yeah yeah no, it's, having- it's, i don't know if you go in for the sort of ancestry you can sort of click on things that give you sort of breakdowns for yeah i look at of all that thing. Your yeah, traits, yeah.
0: yes, I do like cilantro. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. But I've not gone there. I must admit, but I it's to pretty be quite interesting. Off.
0: Well, yeah. I think I didn't, yeah. I didn't pay. For, I didn't pay for the extra health stuff, but I did. No, they have the traits. You know mm-hmm. what you might yeah. be. You know, you have your DNA says you probably have light eyes, or you know, yeah, yeah. your DNA yeah. says you won't like cilantro, or all those. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's getting more and more precise too. i mm-hmm. reading about it. It's it's fascinating. You know, it's good for adoptees because it yeah. keeps us. It has us having our say in the world. You know, I don't know if you
2: find like I do that. I mean, it's it's sort of ironic that we're so much closer to the past, you know, yeah. because of technology.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: as it slips out of view in real time.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: it's it's getting closer, and more at our fingertips. And part of that is because records are released after a certain mm-hmm. amount of time. It's quite good in the UK, but in Canada, the 1930 census just came out last year. You know, so I know in North America there's much more of a of a delay. But just with all this technology, we're
0: no, it's fascinating. You
2: know, it's really weird. Time is a strange beast, anyway. But in the world just a of
0: construct, really, isn't it? Time. Well, yeah.
2: And so are divisions between people. I think. I think when you do DNA, I mean, you really feel. As an adoptee, you know, you feel more of a citizen of the world, if that doesn't sound odd, and you think.
0: We have had a guest on, and he, I quote him all the time because it was just so profound and simple, but that adoptees Mm. are living in an alternate universe. Yeah. Well, the thing
2: is, I was going to say, you know, you feel all the things that you felt was about racism or whatever divisions, constructed divisions that, you know, from a religion or whatever, you, you right. see how much people in all these people mm-hmm. intermingle through the centuries, and you just think, oh
0: God, we are know, all this, connected. I mean,
2: <laughs> people fighting about yeah, nationalism crazy. or whatever That's was right. silly before, but it brings it home. Yeah. But the other thing is, I find it in two ways because, you know, I've various I've, I've sort of neurodiverse issues, dyspraxia and ADHD and things like that, mm-hmm. which always made me feel kind of alien as well as the adoption. And, and you don't really know unless you have those, a neurodiverse person doesn't really know what it's like not to be neurodiverse. A person who's not neurodiverse doesn't really know what it's like to be neurodiverse. It's the same with adoption. Mm -hmm. We don't Mm -hmm. really know what it's like not to be adopted. And someone who isn't adopted, they can never really know. So there there is that.
0: Although they sure do try to impose their opinions on on (laughs) us. I was thinking about that. Especially if you speak out and say, hey, wait a minute. You know, maybe this isn't a great thing. Yeah. Maybe adoption isn't overall a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Then people get mad because they're very invested in adoption being altruistic and better mm-hmm. for everybody. Higher,
1: higher, higher calling. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So right. I was thinking about
1: what you said about it. ancestry, how it makes you all son feel. You said before the citizen of the world, but before that, mm-hmm. you know, connected and grounded. That's how I felt like, even on my biological father's side. Like oh, I'm here. I'm here mm-hmm. on this earth, right? And people take it for granted yeah. that aren't adopted.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They take yeah. it for granted because they'll say, "Oh, my great," you know. They tell stories. Well, this they are at exactly. a dinner. Like, oh, my great grandmother did this and yeah. this and this and all these stories they have passed down. And then if you say, "Well, this not," oh, but your parent, like they do that thing too, where yeah, yours isn't as important because mm. you had this. But it's like no, I can. I have a background too. You know, yeah. some, it grounds you.
2: Yeah, it does. Citizen no mean, so of the world, double. I like
1: that. Mm-hmm.
2: We've got twin tracks, don't we? Because we've got our, I find it hard sometimes with the terminology, as I was saying, birth mother, blood yeah. father, whatever, you know. Oh, weird. Mom, dad, whatever it might be. But we, So we've got these two families. And, you know, I've done a little bit of research into my adoptive family. My, my son was keen. He said, you should do that, Dad. You know, you should, you should find out more about the people that adopted you, which I thought was really sort of mature of him. And, of course, he was right, you know. Mm-hmm. Having had difficulties in my relationship with my adoptive father and things, I'm also aware that I've got this new shiny story, you know, and it's a, quite glamorous in the fact that it involves transatlantic travel mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. I've got the, I can almost park the adopted guy and you know who he was and all the mistakes that he made and difficult relationships and kind of embrace this new identity that i came to when i was turned 50 you know and think oh yeah i'm the product of this illicit relationship and my grandfather and my father's father he was sent to canada from reform school as part of a scheme called the british home children as sort of indentured Farm laborer because he was a, a bit of a bad boy throughout his life, actually, so I've got this kind of ledge to the story. I'm not this sort of lower middle class sort of boring <laughs> yeah, white guy you know, but, yeah you know dot 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 so I could kind of embrace that thing and I thought, well, yeah, I can see myself sort of falling for that it's just a bit sexier you know than than I saw myself previously, you know the backstory i try- I try and kind of rein that in and The music that I've I've made about the whole my birth and adoption story, you know, I did an album about my adoption. But I also did a sort of companion album which you checked to come out. And in that I get much more into my relationship with my adoptive parents because I want to give back I want sometimes by singing I discover what my feelings actually are. That only, you know, writing and singing, you've got these tools to Mm -hmm. to sort of express yourself. Mm -hmm. And that you may not you only realize sometimes in the moment of creation what your your feelings are. So, I felt more close to them, my adoptive parents as well as my blood parents. You know, by, by actually is, trying. To
0: this is make would, work. would you would you mind telling before we wrap up telling our listeners what about your music and about your poetry, and then we'll we'll put it in the show notes. We sure. really, yeah. So,
2: well, here's the product placement. This is the the book of poems that I
0: be my baby
2: be my baby this is uh, it's called be my baby because i was talking about the timeline of my conception being around the cuban missile crisis mm-hmm. and i was born on the 3rd of july 1963 on the 1st of july 1963 the beatles recorded she loves you right on the 2nd of july 63 Jane the pacemakers recorded you'll never walk alone and then on the 5th of july 63 the ronettes recorded the song be my baby so that's the sort of, you know, I'm always, I'm a bit of a junkie for popular culture. So um, I, like that. And I thought,
0: well, <laughs> yeah, like and, that.
2: absolutely. And and also, you know, be my baby is, well, I was my birth mother's baby and that's, I was always her baby because I was never an adult it yeah, was around right. her, but also be my baby for my, my adoptive parents because they didn't have a baby of their own. So that's the sort of reason that, that it's called that. And then, songs from be my baby is me sort of taking the themes adapting some of the poems but so sort of just a bit of a deeper dive in some ways
0: cool. into the
2: whole story and that and came out p- this year i, people-
0: I want to know can people purchase these can we put links in our show notes so yeah sure, purchase? sure. Okay. I'll,
2: I'll send it the yes, links
0: please do please do yeah. so that Thank you. people can Appreciate. yeah of course of course. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and and having this conversation. It was really, really a great conversation. And watching us well, on I'm YouTube.
2: Well, really to you guys. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, apart from anything else, it's it's a privilege to speak to other adoptees. Like mm-hmm. this.
0: We feel um, the same.
2: Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, it's because no one else knows, do they? They just no. Don't, they don't.
0: It's an instant so- connection,
1: isn't it? Yeah,
0: an understanding yeah, you have a mutual understanding that, that yeah, don't share with absolutely. others. And thank you so much, Roy, for coming on. It was great to meet you. It was really great, great to meet to you.
2: I really appreciate the opportunity to share my story. So, thanks, guys, and all the Please very best. Stay in with touch. The okay,
0: thank all the very you. Best, you. You too. Can. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye bye. What a nice guy, first what of What a all, nice guy, right. So, Just so thoughtful and sad story to have, I mean, happy, ultimately, yeah, but kind of. Right.
1: It was interesting to me, you and I were talking this week, because I have these letters from my birth mother, like how, how much shame there really was around oh being gosh, a single just... mother. Like she has to go, you know, I can picture this reporter. I'm just imagining, and I, I'm going to figure out where I can go, have it paid mm-hmm. for, Hide away, and she never had more children of her own. And enough to bring it up to her twelve-year-old stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. It, it was with her, you know. They I mean, obviously, meet.
0: we've mm-hmm. talked to enough birth mothers. Yes. I talked to my own birth mother yes. to know that, for the most part, the highest percentage of you know they never, never stop thinking away. about their baby. And
1: no, every day, child. And, yeah, and then they had a year, you know, just that year, and mm-hmm. they couldn't, they couldn't meet. But I'm glad he's, now he has a neat. He does have kind of a, what do you say, sexy transatlantic.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I like him. And he finally, you know, having felt that kind of emptiness growing up and that detachment, you know, and now he gets to feel his place in the world, a citizen of the world. I like that. So, well, Louise, what What do do we, we say? We say it's another great episode. Another great episode. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening today.
1: And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at The Making of Me Podcast.
0: And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon The Making of Me. Bye. See you next time.